I decided to start our series of Christmas messages off by looking at the stories um, of Mary and Joseph in the Gospels, okay? They, along with the infant, Jesus, um, are at the center of what unfolds to be this unexpected plan of God. Now, there are a lot of um, parts to God's unfolding plan that were unexpected in this, but I thought it might help if I would unfold for you some of the customs of the times related to betrothal and marriage, so you'd get a sense of exactly what was happening in the lives of Mary and Joseph in the context of the society in which they live. So most marriages in their times were arranged by the parents. So you have a young man, probably in his older teens, And he would become somewhat proficient at a trade so that there would be at least this thought that he could support a family. So this, um, the parents of this young man who is an older teen would then go and find a girl who is probably a young teen and they would choose her, if you would, select her for their son to marry and they would be pledged to be married, okay, or betrothed, that was the word, okay, that's the first step, it's a, it's a formal pre-marriage arrangement, okay, before witnesses, uh, creates this legally binding contract, and some of you will love this because it, it gives the young man legal rights over this woman, okay, I know some of you really like that part, right, um, but that was that custom, right, and it could only be broken by divorce, Now, at betrothal, there were three gifts that were exchanged. The first gift was a gift that was um, called the bride price, okay? This is a gift that the groom's family would give to the bride's family um, in celebration of the event, okay, or payoff, whichever way you want to look at that, okay, one or the other, okay? And then there was the dowry. This would be the price or the gift that would be given by the bride's father, to the groom that theoretically would help them get a good economic start to life. And then third, there was this groom's gift. Okay? It was given to the bride by the groom as a symbol of his commitment to the relationship. Okay? Now, during this betrothal period, the, they were called, referred to as husband and wife. The wife would still live with her family, this bride. Okay? Um, but intimacy was prohibited. In fact, uh, there was no intimacy, and certainly there would be no intimacy allowed between either of them and someone else. If that was to be the case, that would be referred to as adultery. Okay? And in their culture, adultery of that type would be punished by death, by stoning. Okay? Now, this formal marriage that would take place afterwards would take place about a year afterwards, okay, after the betrothal, and in this in this time, the, um, the groom and his companions that would be dressed in special wedding garments would go to the home of the bride. Okay? They would take the bride and her companions back to the groom's home for a special, probably week-long celebration. It would include a wedding supper. It would include formal contracts. It would include blessings by the parents and ultimately the consummation of the marriage with intimacy. Now, that was the proper way for um, life and marriage to unfold for teenagers in the day of Mary and Joseph. And it helps us appreciate 
the path that we're going to see God take Mary and Joseph. They didn't take themselves down this path. God's going to take them down this path, this unexpected path. And so let's start by looking in Luke chapter 1. Okay, turn to page 1012 in those Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bible or your Bible app. And I want to look together at Mary. Okay? Mary, who we find to be a servant of God. Now, I'm just going to ask you to put aside maybe a lot of the things you've learned about Mary over the years. Preconceived ideas, good or bad, one way or the other, taught in church, taught outside of church, those type of things. And let's just look at what we see in the Bible. Okay? Observe Mary's first interaction with God's plan. I think it had to be incredibly frightening. Okay? Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married. Now, when you say pledged to be married, understand betrothed. They're in that year-long time period to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. Okay, that, that might be your understatement of the day, that Mary was greatly troubled. By that, Luke, I think, literally means Mary was scared to death. Okay, what in the world is going on? So Gabriel tries to calm her fears, okay? But I'm not sure that the message that he brought to her would calm my fears if I were Mary when he goes on to say, because you are highly favored, here's what you get. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So I suppose um, maybe in this interaction, maybe her fear does subside a little bit. Uh, if nothing else, from her next words, we know at least we either moved toward or we added to the mix confusion. Because there's this aha moment she has in verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Then Gabriel explained, beginning in verse 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And then I, I personally find Mary's response in verse 38 stunning. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Okay? Now think about the background of the betrothal and the marriage that I gave you. Mary, um, likely a young teenager, hardly more than a than a young girl. Think of, of us who have raised girls, and we're talking 12, 13, 14-year-old girl here. Okay? She was somewhere in that year between the time of betrothal and the time of marriage. We're not sure exactly where, but how could this happen? She's figuring. You know, what lies ahead? 
How would Joseph respond, she had to wonder. How would the people in our community respond, a small town where word travels fast? Yet for, at, her, at a young age, right, recovering from this startling interaction um, with the angel Gabriel in the first place, and then from the reality of this news that she would become uh, pregnant through the Holy Spirit, in the end she offers herself as a servant to God to fulfill whatever purposes he has chosen for her life. She'd heard and received the message you are highly favored, and the Lord is with you. Okay? What faith, what faithfulness this young woman, Mary, had. No wonder God chose her to bear his son. It's amazing. And I think it's worth noting that Mary, this person God chooses to use, like she had no outstanding credentials. Okay? Nothing that would lead you to believe that she would be chosen to give birth to a king, much less the son of God. In fact, her resume might only include two words, available and willing. It's all she had to offer. And yet when God is the one who conceives the plan, and God is the one who empowers the plan, those are the only two things that were needed from Mary or from us. She has no training, she has no preparation, simply the assurance that God will be with her on this journey and help her complete this task. It reminds us that God uses people who are simply willing to serve him. It's not about Mary, and it's not about you, and it's not about me. Can you see how much God is able to do through those who are humble in spirit. God's not worried about your social status. God's not worried about your monetary situation. He's not worried about your degrees. He's not worried about the skills that you can list on your resume. God displays his greatness by using simple, humble-hearted people to carry out his work. Amidst the craziness of all the news that was given, don't forget that God just took a simple young girl who was willing and who was available, and through her, he brought into this world his son. Understanding um, his greatness helps us realize that faithfulness um, to God's plan, it just involves our willingness to be used by God, and I think more importantly, involves his ability to help us overcome whatever limitations that we might have in fulfilling that plan. And you think through Mary, helping her to overcome whatever might lie ahead for her to accomplish what God wanted in her life. Now, in addition to Mary, let's take a, a look at Joseph. For that, I want you to flip over to Matthew chapter 1. Okay, this is page 955 in that Bible in front of you, Matthew 1, in your Bible, Bible app. Okay? His situation um, is also challenging. Okay? And we're going to discover through this narrative that Joseph can be described as a man of honor. Of honor. Think through how this plays out in his life. We begin in verse 18. 
It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Again, think betrothed. But before they came together, think intimacy. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay? So Mary receives this vision from God after she is engaged, maybe in our terms, but betrothed, something much more formal in their terms. She, um, she has this vision. Okay? And after the vision, she goes to spend time with her cousin, Elizabeth, okay? for three months. Okay? without having shared any of the vision with Joseph. <laughs> okay? So we're betrothed. You live at your parents. I either live at my parents or I'm establishing a home for us. And you go to spend time with your cousin. And then you come back from time with your cousin and voila, you're four months pregnant. Does anybody see a problem with that? <laughs> Joseph saw a problem with that. <laughs> okay? They were betrothed but they'd never been intimate. So Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant. And from the context, we understand he discovers that Mary is pregnant before everybody in town discovers Mary is pregnant, but be sure it won't be long in the small town before everybody knows that. Okay? Now we know from our, our looking at the Gospel of Luke that she was made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Yet Joseph didn't know about the Holy Spirit's work, and I'm not sure if he knew about it, he would quite grasp exactly what happened there. So he assumes, since he had not had intimacy with Mary, she'd had an intimacy with someone else, that she'd committed adultery, because he knew at least that she wasn't pregnant by him. So according to the law, what would happen would Joseph would need to obtain a certificate of divorce, okay, to sever the betrothal, but he had this dilemma. If he does it publicly, makes her actions known, subjects her to public disgrace as an adulteress, and perhaps leads to her death. Okay, now, that was the official penalty of adultery. Someone who is betrothed is, is death by stoning. It wasn't practiced so much in their day, but certainly nothing good was going to happen to Mary. Or he could divorce her privately. Okay? Only a couple of witnesses involved, which would allow him to do what he was supposed to do according to the law, get the certificate of divorce, but save her from more public disgrace and potential death. Okay? Again, this is before the angel says anything, right? before he has any visitation, only this knowledge. And I think it helps us um, to understand that planning to go the private divorce route shows both his character Okay? And his compassion. Character, he needed to do what was right according to the law. Compassion, he could do it publicly or privately, and he was going to do it privately. He was obedient to God, yet he had compassion on Mary. Now enter into this dilemma as Joseph is wrestling with what am I going to do and how I'm going to do it, a stunning appearance by the angel who unfolds God's plan beginning in verse 20. But after he had considered this, we don't know how long, I'm sure it didn't take long for it to hit him, the reality of it, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, there's a lot of no- interesting things in that. First, he's called Joseph, son of David. If you were um, here last week when our kids in the, in the program sang Matthew's begats, <laughs> okay, or if you just look at the first 17 verses of Matthew, you will understand that Joseph came from the line of David. Okay, this descendant of David was going to play a significant role in the arrival and life of the Messiah. And then the angel says this, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, this could be an indication that Joseph is afraid. I don't think that's what it's really meaning there, but I would be, and I think anybody else would be as well. But in the midst of his dilemma, I think that he was... But rather, the angel saying, don't fear the consequences. Don't fear the stigma that is going to come with continuing in his betrothal to Mary. With going down this path in light of her pregnancy, because this is how it happened, and ultimately you're going to marry her. Now that's a big ask, right? Big ask. And, and so side note, like is anybody else's mind completely boggled? just by how the Holy Spirit creates a baby in Mary. Okay. I mean, I, you were probably taught different than I was, but it goes against everything that I was taught by all of my elementary and junior high peers about how this kind of thing happens. Okay. There was nothing in my growing up years that would, would tell me this is how it's supposed to work. And yet here we are. Finally, the angel says, give him the name Jesus. Because he's going to save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus was actually a popular name to give to boys in first century Israel. The name Jesus means God saves. And they would give their sons that name um, as a symbol of the hope they had. That God was going to send his salvation to the nation of Israel. And in each generation, they thought that salvation would be from something or from someone. In the day of Jesus, they were hoping that God would send them a Savior who would save them from the Romans, who were militarily over them right now. They were occupied territory. But the angel clarifies that he's going to save the people from their sins. Okay? We know on this side of things, That salvation from sin, after all, that was the central purpose of Jesus and his life and his coming to earth. According to Matthew chapter 28, where we read his own words, where Jesus said, The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. This consistent thread through the life of Jesus that God is going to bring us as his people, them as his people, back into relationship with him. Now, um, the angel's going to connect real-time events, what's happening with Joseph, okay, with the prophet, the word of the prophet that was given through Isaiah in verses 22 and 23 here in, in Matthew. Okay? He says, the angel, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, on a side note, I have side notes. So on a side note, I just think it's interesting. Here in Matthew chapter 1, okay, we read that Jesus will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
And if you remember from multiple times over the last few months, we've looked at, at the very end of the book of Matthew. Remember in chapter 28, there in verse 20, remember the last words of the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus himself said, and surely I am with you always. God is with us indeed. And all this leads to Joseph's response. Look down at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave him until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so so Joseph would come full circle. Joseph awakes from this dream or this vision and follows through with the formal wedding of Mary and him. And they begin their life together. Okay? Now, we all think that our life is a bit crazy, right? Certainly some of the people that God has introduced into our life are a bit crazy. Okay? And I've seen a few crazy things happen at the beginning of marriages or weddings. Okay? But this, this is somewhat surreal of a beginning, don't you think? For this young, young teen and older teen couple. Okay? Has any other family uh, in history begun in such an incredible way? I would say probably not. So we've seen God at work in the life of Mary and God at work in the life of Joseph and all the pieces that he's put together to, to set the stage for this um, incredible event for all of the people involved, this unexpected plan of God, if you would. Yet for today, okay, let's just pause a minute and remember that God is still active. It's easy to place these things in a context of long, long ago, far, far away, in another land. And yet that same God is still with us, Jesus said. He's still active today. And I think it's worth noting some three pieces I want to give you here. First, immediately after receiving this news, Mary okay, goes to spend time with Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was mentioned in the dream, but we don't have at least in the text of Luke, we don't have where God said, go to your cousin Elizabeth's house. Okay? But I think it's good practice here. Here are two women that God is blessing in special ways at the same time. Okay? Elizabeth was a much older cousin, past childbearing years, and yet here she finds herself uh, pregnant in the sixth month of her pregnancy, and she is going to give birth at the end of that pregnancy to John the Baptist. And then there's Mary, herself a virgin, yet through the work of the Holy Spirit, pregnant with Jesus. Uh, I imagine they had a few interesting conversations, don't you think, along the way? It, it reminds me that whether we are in crisis or whether we are on mission, to be, it's good to be in community with people who are committed to God. Okay? When we find ourselves in those difficult circumstances, I hope that we also find ourselves in community with God's people because God is still active, and he's often active through his people. Okay? Now, Matthew's given us insights um, into Jesus, right, whose, whose life and mission were planned from the very beginning, and they have a, a profound effect on us to this day where God is still active, representing the hope for both now and eternity. Okay? The insights were, first, that he was going to be Jesus, which means God saves, and he was going to be Emmanuel, 
which means God with us. These things have always been true of God. And they find their greatest reality in Jesus himself. The Bible says that God became flesh and he dwelt among us and ultimately offered his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus told us that he would send us his spirit to live in us as his people so that he is literally still with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And it's worth noting, he's still here. He's still active. He's still leading people to salvation. He's still among us. And I think what a beautiful example here in the text of these two very young, yet committed to God, followers of his, obedient in their lives to the leading of the Holy Spirit. They remind us that that young relationships can be God-honoring. They can be pure. They can be one in which the young man and a young woman serve one another and serve God together. I think it's a great start for the foundation of any relationship, but it also gives the necessary ingredients, I think, for the transformation of any relationship. Okay, A heart of obedience to God, love for a spouse, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Pay attention to these three things if you want God to be active in your marriage okay? at whatever stage it's in. There's a story about a man who, who, who stayed home while his family went to Christmas Eve service. Maybe you've known over the years many, many a man or many a woman like this where their family's gone um, to worship God, but they're just, uh, they're just not into it right? They just don't quite believe this whole story of Jesus and God becoming man and all of those pieces. And so uh, the man stayed home, sat in the chair by the fire. Um, it started to snow, so he got up and the snow was coming down heavy, starting to accumulate and thought it was pretty, but he went back to his chair and he started reading his paper. And then he just heard a couple of loud thuds. He thought maybe some kids in the, in the area might be throwing snowballs at the house because that's what it sounded like. But he went up and he got to the window and, and what he saw was that uh, there was this group of birds that were in the front lawn um, freezing and they had tried to fly in through his large picture window into the house for warmth. And he had pity on them, and he got to thinking, well, the, they had the barn, and the kids had a pony in the barn, and so he thought, well, I'll just go and I'll open the barn. So he got on his, his coat, and he got on his boots, and he trekked out to the barn, and he opened up the doors, and he turned on the lights, and, and the birds just stayed huddled in their little spot there. And he thought, well, they, they don't even know what they're missing, and so I have to entice them somehow. So he went back to the house and got some bread and made a trail of crumbs to the barn, and yet they stayed there, and he's like, i got to do something. These birds are going to they're gonna freeze, right? And so he began to try to shoo them and try to catch them and try to do everything to get them so that he could take them or shoo them to this barn, and, and all they did was scatter and then eventually just come back to their grouping. And he kept thinking, they're afraid of me. Like, they don't understand what's going on. He's like, if, I, if only I could become a bird. <laughs> like, if I could talk to him, if I could tell him what's going on, tell him there's safety over here. And, and about that time, the, the bells from the church started pealing for the Christmas Eve service. And he thought about what he just said. 
and he thought about the message that he had missed. And he sank to his knees in the snow. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the Son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. It was God's plan all along that he knew that we would need a Savior. That we would try our own ways, that we might be afraid of a lot of things, that we would be lost. And so he would have to become a man. And so he did that in the form of his son, Jesus. And it makes a great story, (laughs) the Christmas story. And we've been celebrating it. We'll continue to celebrate it here for the next couple of weeks. And then we'll return to it at another time. But don't miss in the story the real purpose. You will give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. If you're distant from God, maybe a little incredulous to the story altogether, trying to figure it out, if you want to talk through that, if you want to talk about that, if you want to move past that and actually embrace God himself, I'm going to give you that opportunity. So we're going to sing a song together here after I pray. And a couple of us will stand in the back, and we'd love to talk to you if you want to talk about meeting Jesus and realize that part of maybe his unexpected plan in your life might be that you had this aha moment that God came down to earth for me so that his son, my Savior, could save me. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, our, uh, our hope has to be in things beyond this world. There's more to this life than just living and dying. There's more to eternity than the pain and the struggle that we experience or we see others experiencing. Or we believe there's hope in Jesus. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God with us. It's amazing that you would come to earth to become a man with the purpose that even these thousands of years later would still apply to us because you came to give your life as a ransom for us. Lord, we cherish that. We remember this baby had a purpose and that purpose involved us. And so, Father, we are thankful for the salvation you've provided through Jesus Or maybe it's a step we need to take. Would you just guide us in either direction, we pray in Jesus' name.